This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. I'm David Bishop, author of Metagility, and this is the Agile Uprising Podcast. Greetings and welcome to another edition of the Agile Uprising Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Hersko. Joining us once again, I have my partner in crime as my co-host, Mr. Mike Cadell. Mike, thanks for joining. Hey, thanks, Jay. Howdy, y'all. Glad to have you back, Mike. And so the topic of this week's episode is Mike and I recently finished the book, Creating Agile Organizations, A Systemic Approach. And we were we reached out blindly and we got one lucky and the guy answered our emails. So joining us to talk about his book is one of the co-authors, Cesario Ramos. Cesario, thank you for joining us. Hello, thank you for having, her, having me. We are we are so glad to have you. But so um, we'll start off, Cesario, with the easy question for our listeners that may not be aware of you or may not be aware of what you do. Can you give us a little bit of an intro, a bio as to who you are and how you ended up talking to us? Ah, okay. So uh, I'm based in Europe, um, and um, I've been doing agile things since 2002 with Scrum. And I remember taking a first course by Ken Swaver back in 2003, which was uh, life changing, actually. Um, and I've been working with companies as a mostly as a consultant for since since then. So um, I uh, wrote uh, three books, co authored three books, and my last one is is, is is this book that we're talking about. And um, yeah, I received your email, and I thought, well, let's check out the website of these two gentlemen. And look, <laughs> it's, you you guys checked out okay. So. <laughs> I'm glad we I'm glad we passed the background test. Um, so and and you have read a couple of books, uh, written a couple of books, which we're gonna which we will talk about. But the one that landed and Mike, I believe you were the one that picked this up first, which is odd because usually I'm the one who suggests yeah. books. Mike, you, you picked this up, didn't you? And then said to me, "Hey, yeah. Jay, you got to check this out. This is in your wheelhouse." Yeah, I think within the first chapter, I'd seen three or four things that just really um, connected for me, and so I was messaging Jay on Slack and. And uh, that kind of kind of lit the spark. Yeah, I think somebody may have uh, liked it on LinkedIn or somewhere. I I came across it in some social media realm and like, yeah, you know, this looks kind of interesting. And um, yes, you know what? You're right. It came out of I think it was Sam Hogarth who posted in Discord. Hey, have you guys read this one yet? Because we're known to to read a whole bunch of stuff. So Cesario, I'm going to start with the easy. With, I guess another easy question is. Um, why this book and why now? What led you down the path of, hey, this is some knowledge we got to put into, into print so other people can use it? Yeah, so I think um, there are two main reasons. I, one reason is, is uh, maybe a, a, a strange one, but that is, well, we have been working with uh, uh, on these kinds of problems for so, for so long. And, um, and a lot of times we come into a situation where we think, we thought, Oh darn! We've been we we did this before. I don't know which customer again or which situation, 
oh yeah, let's go find it. And then we had to search you know, a thousand slides or, uh, or 30 papers and so on. And so one of the reasons was, why don't we just write it down and a summary of all of that so we have a reference for ourselves also. So that would that that was one of the uh, one of the reasons one of the main reasons and I think the other uh, main reason at least for, for me personally was that um, as you can uh, hopefully agree on with me um, agile has been is, has turned into a very very mature market and there's a lot of stuff a lot of papers lots of blogs anybody can and can and and, and does write stuff about it. And we wanted to make a, a statement about well, how can what's a perspective that we believe is is a, a, a true uh, in the sense a, a a a pure perspective on 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 agile organizations and let's let's put that 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 voice out there. That's more a reaction to 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 this okay. overflow of information we get. So, um, Cesario, I'm curious. Um... As as you were writing it with your co-author uh, Ilya, um, mm -hmm. how, what was that process like? How did how did y'all come together, and how did the book emerge? You know, kind of uh, between the two of y'all. Well, um, uh, I was having this idea about about writing this, and um, and I worked with Ilya a lot. We did a lot of co-teaching, and uh, we did some 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 projects also together. Um, and, and then we we just decided, well, well, let's contact uh, Edison, Edison Wesley, and see if they uh, want to work with us on on the book. Uh, uh, so we wrote the proposal. We we got in touch with them, and uh, and after that, we just made a. Of course, we we made a a a, a starting uh, chapter index and a chapter overview. Uh, but uh, after the, the contract was signed, well, we it, it completely changed <laughs> multiple times, of course, and uh, it, titles changed, everything changed, and um, so we would be, we would be writing a lot of using Google Docs, for example. Uh, every few months we will get together, so we would have face face to face time, doing co co writing. Um, um, so but basically, it was. Well, I pick up this chapter and I I write this chapter, and then Ilya came in and made comments, and vice versa. So that was the mo maybe the first two years were like that, uh, and then um, uh, we thought we were almost done, and then uh, it wasn't, of course, and then we had to do most of it again, <laughs> um, uh, which was which was very nice. Very, it was it's very it was very fun learning learned a lot doing that. So, so the book kind of took a similar trajectory to to how a software project might. Uh, might <laughs> yes, <laughs> overly ambitious, absolutely overly. Ambitious. So, so you mentioned the title, right? And and the subtitle on this book is a systemic approach. Mm -hmm. So, can you can you explain a little bit more on that, Cesario, to our readers, and why why not only you choose a subtitle, but why that's so important? Because that is the that is the central thread that I found permeates the entire book. It's mm -hmm. looking at things systemically as opposed to bits and bobs and pieces. Yes, yeah, I think uh, systems, the systems perspective is key. And um, especially if you talk about scale. So if you have a couple of teams, then, uh, well, by default, you probably look at the whole. But if you're, if you're in a big organization with 10,000 people or, and I don't know, 
500 teams, then bringing, let's say, agility to that scale, um, uh, we believe is you, you, you require to look at not only the individual teams, but at the larger whole. And uh, fortunately, we have, I don't know, 60 or 70 years of research on, on that. Uh, and we, um, um, uh, we love that. We work with that a lot uh, since, since many years. And that became the central theme of the book. And I think the key is that uh, for the readers, for the, for the listeners, I think, is to understand is uh, if you want to improve this system, being it's a product development group or, or, a, or a, a couple of departments uh, de developing some kind of service of a product or, or, or product, then it's, it's probably insufficient to only focus on individuals or focus on the teams and improve the teams uh, uh, without uh, realizing that um, each of the teams could be doing their best with all the best intentions, meeting their own whatever uh, objectives they have. But unintentionally, all of them can actually be uh, um, um, uh, working against the larger goal without they realizing that. And by taking a step back and looking at how actions that the, these teams can take, actions that would negatively impact the, the, the performance of the whole, uh, by taking a step back and understanding that and seeing that, then uh, you can yeah, take responsibility for for what you can what you then 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 discover, and once you do that, you can then uh, uh, you are then in a position to make fundamental solutions actually to, to improve it, the whole. It, it's kind of like <clears throat> optimizing the whole as opposed as opposed to local optimizations. Is, is yes. how that kind of kind of occurs. Yes. You know, as as you're speaking, um, I'm noticing some uh, some thoughts and words that are very um, congruent with um, the the body of knowledge in uh, ORSC. Um, I'm in the midst of the uh, ORSC training uh, now, so I'm just curious: is that something that's familiar to you, or, or you know anything about ORSC, or is it a good happy coincidence? I think I, I, I'm not. I know the I know that name. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think it has something to do with co with a coaching certificate. If I'm not if I'm correct, I don't know. Um, there there is a coaching certificate, but it it's as much um, looking at organizations and human systems and working on uh, to to affect change, influencing the entirety of the human system. And there's a thing called the third entity, which is the human system itself. So mm -hmm. the, the um, uh, similarities in the, the um, uh, alignment between ORSC and what you're um, what you what you and Ilya have written is is really really nice um, okay oh I'm so I'm not familiar with ORSC yeah, no, uh, I, I, maybe I've, I've seen it somewhere yeah. but not no, not that, that detail that you are describing you know the, the the other the first thing that jumped out at me is we as we dove into the book right so um obviously you have a background in large-scale scrum mike and i have both taken that course i'm convinced it is one of if not the best courses i've ever taken based i mean the way it's taught and we even talk about the way it's taught first let's talk about your the the gratuitous usage of causal loop diagrams which mm -hmm. mike and i truth be told are working on the side to try and get good at um, that, <laughs> well, that I, have, is, I have a lot of those in the book also. Oh, tons of them. But I love that because it forces you to think through when you say the whole idea of multiple backlogs to your point about local optimization, where you have five or 10 teams with the best of intentions doing what they think is the best work, but 
systemically, it may actually be counterproductive. Mm -hmm. And those things visually, that was one of the things that tickled my brain. I was like, ah, because it, it lays out in a logical pattern some of the things you you think you're doing that are right may actually be incongruent with what you're trying to achieve. Exactly, yeah. So the CLD is one tech, one powerful technique. And, and the key is, the key is not the CLD. The key is that the people involved, let's say these teams involved that you just mentioned, that they become aware how their actions undermine the larger goal. So once they become aware of that, then they can take responsibility for that. Mm -hmm. Once you are in that situation, then good things could happen. <laughs> You're revealing the system to itself to use right. it in yes. <laughs> yes. So that's key. That's 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 the systemic part we 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 think is super important. And and in the book, just to finish up on your question, we 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 built that up, and, and then we we um just uh, make uh, yeah all decisions all further detailing based on. On this hole, we first identify the hole. We call it a product group in this case, and then we only improve the the parts, as uh, Akov likes to say it. Uh, <laughs> only if the hole is also improved simultaneously. <laughs> yeah. One yeah. one of the uh, bits early in the book that really um, resonated for me and caught my ear. This may have been one of the things I was uh, spamming Jay with, was uh, mentioning the second law of the fifth discipline. The harder you push, the harder the system pushes back. So to change the system rather than attempting to coerce people to change behavior that's incongruent with a stable system, um, you know, as you find it, um, rather look to change the system. And um, uh, that, that connects with, uh, uh, again, to go back to my horse training, there's uh, foundate ground conditions for change. The first thing you have to have you have to have introduce new information into the system. So what you know what, what was connecting for me is you know the harder you push, the harder the system pushes back because the system is not ready for change. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that that just really uh, stood out to me. But the, the other thing that stood out is um, in a lot of the you know I'll put it in the the um, scare quotes uh, scaling ways of thinking. This is atypical. The, the the typical approach is, you know, we're going to tell you what to do and we're going to, you know, um, train everyone and launch trains or whatever the saying of the month mm -hmm. is. Um, and and uh, uh, I, I'm curious um, what uh, what what led you to that kind of insight. <laughs> okay, that's a very nice question. Uh, so I must admit um, um, uh, um, that. Um, I tried uh, also, let's say, the hard, uh, the, the the authoritative way. Like if you, if senior management, like board, wants this, uh, then things will start moving. Um, um, uh, but eventually, in my experience, it fires back. So, or you lead a large police force to keep watching everybody, <laughs> and enforcing everybody, but then you're just pretty much where you started right just the police force just changed i don't know role names but you still have the same uh, command and control like behavior that you require um so so i learned the hard way that even if you have the board support for this um if 
the people do not feel ownership for it, then it's very unlikely that you succeed. And even, even if you succeed in the first, let's say, six to eight to 12 months, if you come back a year later, which I did, uh, much, much of it, much of the change is, uh, is, is back, is reverted, let's say, is, 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 has been, um, been yeah, undone. So, so uh, actually, I learned that very, very hard uh, in, uh, by, by making these, these mistakes. Um, uh, we talk about a concept of, of volunteering. We uh, truly believe this is um, uh, essential if people want to, if you want to really uh, create a change, then uh, it's much healthier if most of the people uh, are truly feeling, well, I, I want to try this out. Uh, I, I, I want to try this out. I think it's worth the risk. Uh, and I, I, I'm volunteering to be part of this larger initiative. Um, and um, if not, if you do it by, let's say, uh, authority or force, um, um, it probably doesn't work. At least in no. my experience, <laughs> it didn't work. Right, especially when the CEO, especially when the CIO who's mandating the change <clears throat> reaches right. his expiration date and he moves on, and you get a brand new CIO with a brand new set of priorities and a brand yes. new ways of thinking. One of the one of the terms that you use early on in the book, which I'm pretty sure Mike and I owe you royalties for, Cesario, is the idea of copy and paste scaling and oh, copy yeah. paste scrum. Where yes. and this is this is something you want to talk about learning the hard way. I think all three of us have learned that the hard way. Where <laughs> where yeah. we walk in. And we're, and it goes back to another big undercurrent in the book is the idea of organizational design, how you can't just paste scrum patterns on top of an organization that is not structured in a way to make that conducive. It's, it's the equivalent of walking into a room and telling everybody, I need you to write with your non-dominant hand. Going forward, that's all you can do. And mm -hmm. trust me, it'll work. And that Mike and I have used that a lot, the idea of just you can't just broad, you can't just wallpaper, right? It's like having a hole in the wall and I just put wallpaper over it. Did I really solve the problem? No, because eventually whatever's behind that hole is going to seep through again. Mike and I got a lot of mileage out of that one and, and the conversation around <laughs> too often do we show up in a room and just try and, we don't look at it systemically. We just try and wallpaper over mm -hmm. the problem instead of fixing it. Yes. Yeah, copy-paste scaling is... Uh, uh, uh... I wrote that paper in 2016 or something or 2015 uh, because it was just everywhere I came. And that has become, I think the reason is that people read the Scrum Guide and the Scrum Guide, guide uh, now it's a little bit different, but back then it was single team Scrum. Mm -hmm. But it has these roles and these artifacts. So if you want to scale it, well, you just, well, create one more, one more. <laughs> and then again, and then another one. And then, well, we're done. Uh, uh, not <laughs> unless you have a lot of products, right? If you have twenty teams, twenty scrum teams, you pr better have twenty products. Uh, by the way, the, the, did you notice that uh, uh, the word "product" is used uh, over a hundred times in the scrum guide? No, I've never noticed that, but I've never looked. Yeah, I did a word count a couple of years ago, and it was <laughs> hundred and fifty times or something. Yeah. Uh, and I realized, well, this is a pretty important word, but nobody really knows in our context what a product is. <laughs> it, yes, <laughs> yes, and I'm, and I'm you get, so you get glad. All this copy paste problem. problem. <laughs> you have a you have a whole chapter on that, 
uh, Mike will tell you I was having a nervous breakdown before the holidays because in my in my current role, we're having the conversation of do we have the right products? And to your point, everybody keeps it's it's here we go back to the princess bride. You keep using that word, but I don't think it means what you think it means. And nobody has a shared understanding of what is a product. And you just I love the way you describe it, where it needs to be broad enough. It needs to be something external that creates value with a customer like those. And and it's not told in a here's a tick the box way. You got to read it to get through it. So anybody who's listening, we're not even remotely doing the content justice. You really need to take a moment to read it. But you do. a There's a really wild chapter on working with product to understand do you have even the right product structure because that will drive your organization, the OD parts of this book, and that drives everything else. And that was a that was a wild minute to sit back and be like, oh, I you know, most of my bookmarks and notes and stuff <laughs> That's all a in, lot. The, in the product <laughs> space. Because I, yeah, I, the wow. product space, I was writing a lot of that yeah. down because again, everybody uses that word and there is almost a semantic diffusion of it where not everybody thinks the same thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so um, there, there's a thread there I want to pull on for a second, Jay, if I can. Yeah. Um, and it, this is... Um, particularly uh, acute for me um, in the context of an engagement that I just wrapped up at the end of the year. Um, And uh, 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 Cesario, I'm I'm curious, um, in in your experience, when when you go to work with an organization to help them define product, what a product is, Mm -hmm. um, the definition that is uh, in this book, uh, very similar to what you see in uh, in uh, in last, and you know what what we, we heard from Craig Larman, you know, um, very wide product definition, and in many organizations that has a lot of implications. You know, to Jay's point, the OD organizational design implications and just you know people's identities and just it it, it shifts a lot of things and. <clears throat> Because those are shifts and change, there's bound to be objections and resistance. Mm-hmm. So, in in your experience, how do you how do you approach that topic, and what what have you seen as far as objections that come up, and how you can work with those objections? You, you can't just barrel over them; you have to work with them, I believe. And mm-hmm. I'm curious if you could just you know, share a bit about what you've seen in that. And that, yes, um, so there, I can give maybe two examples. Um, this depends on this, your starting situation. So let me give a, a, an example where there's a lot of uh, copy-paste scaling going on, meaning one product, one Scrum team per product part, as I, as I call it. Yeah. Yeah, so we have all these POs then. So we have, this is a bank. Uh, there's 23 teams, one product, but they don't know that. Um, but it's one product. And um, how do I know that? Because there is a director who is director product, that specific product. And it has a name as a banking product. I, ju- I don't want to say it here, uh, um, 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 but um, uh, let's say it's a, it's a lending product. Right. And so she's, uh, she's director that product. And, and she has 500 people working for her, <laughs> you see. And... Uh, uh, 23 teams that make software uh, of these 500 people. 
uh, and they have 23 POs. So this is, we're not talking about, this is, let's say, call it, let's call these POs a manage, management role. Uh, and these are maybe board minus four level. Okay. Right? Three, board, board minus three, board minus four. So uh, um, uh, once um, um, the director was convinced that uh, these 23 teams likely uh, make up a product, uh, their her product, uh, and she decided, well, we must treat it as one product because, you know, if I want to focus on something which is most important, I want, well, most of the teams to focus on that. That's, I don't want just to be able to focus two teams while the other 21 teams work on something else which is of less importance. Uh, so I don't want that in the future. So I want to be able to focus all the teams. And, and that would imply that we would have uh, much fewer POs. So a lot of these management roles would be, need to be eliminated, right? Uh, um, so how did we handle this? So th this was a, a debate. Uh, the question was in this particular example, should we eliminate the roles before or should we leave the roles for now? Okay, in this example, we said, well, let's leave the rules for now. But we are going to take away the backlogs because, well, guess what? We just have one backlog for uh, moving on. So sorry, 22 backlogs are now gone. But you guys are and ladies are still POs. Uh, POs. Uh, now, what happened, um, uh, to make a long story short, after one sprint, so we did Scrum there, um, the POs voluntarily said, this is nonsense. Our role doesn't make any sense anymore. <laughs> so we want to give up our role because we know that we are not POs anymore. So in this example, uh, the POs just voluntarily gave up the role. And I call that, well, you are promoted to team member. Because now you see, you can have lunch with the team and you can do your <laughs> skill which is business analysis. You know a lot of, about customer domains and, 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 and journeys and customer journeys and so. And that's all super important. So we don't want that information to go. We still need you as before, but now you can just leave all that nonsense like coordinating teams or writing user stories. You can leave all that nonsense to the team and you can use your intellect to do what you're really good at. Uh, so we call that a promoting, uh, uh, we, we promote the, 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 these POs, let's say team POs are promoted to team member. And in this case, they came to that conclusion themselves. Sounds um, like an organization with a, a strong um, culture of, of, uh, of safety and um, uh, employment security as opposed to role security. Yes. Yes, and it was a bank. So, <laughs> and yes, so um, 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 this is true. Yes, and um, uh, I have other examples. Uh, this is uh, another company in the financial uh, uh, sector, where well, you know, this role, the position of the people were was there was well, this role is tied to my status. This is what I put Ooh. on LinkedIn. Yeah, uh, so there's no way that I will. I want to give up this role title. You know, I want to be uh, something else, senior, or you know, I want to be more broader PO. I want to be the real PO, 
but you know um uh, you're not taking away this title because this means something to me so um uh, one way uh, so one way we 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 handled this uh, in this um, situation was that we said well okay you know we don't really we don't really care what the role is that you use in LinkedIn, you can put any role you want, actually, as long as it's not too uh, too, too radical. Um, um, and if you want to be called a PO here, still true, you can still be called a PO here. Um, but there's now this new gentleman, in this case, it was a gentleman, and he's a chief PO, right? <laughs> he was actually board, a board minus one. And he just calls the shots from now on, on priority. So uh, this was a seven-team uh, uh, configuration, and um, it, it was done like that. So this role was still in existence, but again, uh, we um, reduced the number of product backlogs. Hmm. So, so, so this is um, uh, two. Yes, I can tell you more, but these are two uh, examples of last year, actually, and um, yeah, it it, it, it made. It made a lot of sense. And when we reached that point in the book, Mike and I were going back and forth at each other like, hey, they're actually suggesting we make the product owner a team member and not have that whole delineation. And, and that's not something we've ever seen before, but it makes, to your point, when you explain it like that, Cesario, it makes a lot of sense. Like, why, why would you keep a named role? And, and you're right, there is some there is some personal feeling and attachment that goes with title and those sort of things. And, and we understand that we're not trying to poo-poo that or downplay that at all, but it really comes down to in service of the system, what is the best use of my skill? And if it's me being a team member who brings my analysis and business, my, my, my subject matter expertise into the team, well, that's the best use for it. And, mm -hmm. and I, and I think the even back taking us full circle back to earlier in the conversation, the argument for even that move is most of us can't even define where the product is. So why do we have so many product owners if we're defining things that really aren't products, they're components of a product or they're an experience inside mm -hmm. a stakeholder product, right? That yeah. I hate, to, I hate to bring it back to, to Wittgenstein and all, you know, it's all words, our problems are all words, but I do think that's a large part of it. Yes, yeah. And so an interesting observation, a thread through those two examples that, that really um, uh, stands out for me in a, in a positive way is <clears throat> Um, the, the approach that you described wasn't uh, coming and hitting them over the head saying, you're no longer a product owner, get out. Because <clears throat> right. that, that then, you know, somebody feels like their 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 status or their their whoopee, you know, their security blankets getting taken away, but rather just the effective uh, power, the decision-making was moved. And then yeah. let those people come to it kind of on their own. Um, so it's, it's, you know, letting, letting them, uh, get to get to that realization without um, whacking them over the, the head with a, a, a perceived loss. Yeah, I, I, that's a good one, Mike. I, I just want to add. I just want to add one little sentence to that, um, um, and that is, uh, uh, if you put on, if you if you put your on your 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 facilitation or consulting hat, uh, you have conversations with these people. Uh, you know. In most of these situations, they don't have the power. They have the illusion that they have the power to order their backlog, but it's not true. <laughs> so in these conversations, you do, you can help by making that uh, more clearer, right? That's, yeah. you see. <laughs> there is a backlog somewhere. It's not called a backlog. <laughs> it's a thing, but right. it's there. And there's 
a person or two who make the real calls. Yeah, uh, right, don't, right. Don't have the illusion if you work <laughs> on a product part that you actually are making the calls. <laughs> the, the real backlog. I like how yeah. you said that because it is true. That it is yeah. somewhere. It's typically a SharePoint in someone's in someone's local drive. But there is a, a, a one backlog to rule them all, which is truly where the decisions get made. Yeah. Uh, to pivot this conversation a bit, sorry, I want to ask you about mindset. So you talk a little bit about mindset uh, in the book, and there's an interesting paradox there. And, and Mike actually called this out to me where some people will say that you're, the process, following the process creates your mindset. And others will say, well, the mi- your mindset influences your process, which is similar to more the culture follows structure. Uh, what are your thoughts? Is there is there one where, based upon the, the, it sounds like you've taken some war wounds, right? Based upon some of the war wounds you suffer, which is the which is the smart way we should be looking at this as coaches, as practitioners, as people trying to help these orgs really be successful? Wow, I think I think there are different multiple levels to it. Um, so, um, I think if you look at the org from the org design perspective. Um, then, um, from my experiences, that um, if you want to create certain type of behavior, uh, then it's stronger. The stronger effect is um, created by having the right structure, for example, the right responsibility divisions, the right processes, the right tools. Um, um, that will greatly influence. That will that will win over mindset. So if you uh, just to give a concrete example for the for the readers or the listeners, if you if you have if you keep if the structure demands that you keep working with these ten uh, product owners and these ten separate teams, uh, then they can be very agile and be very the mindset would could be, be be very well. Let's do the best for the whole. But if they are not measured on that and uh, the processes just work against that, then it will be very hard to for them to optimize the whole. So of it course, reminds me of a bad system will beat a good person every time. Yes, uh, maybe that's a, a nice wording. <laughs> uh, and any some readers might think, well, you know, but eventually in our company it broke and it became good because we had lots of people who had this right mindset and then finally the mindset won. Uh, and I say, yeah, that's true also. Uh, uh, but uh, after that period, maybe it was six, seven, eight years, then some senior manager came to the conclusion that he needed to change the org design. <laughs> <laughs> you see, so, so uh, you, you know, uh, um, that's... Um, uh, so what you're saying is pick your battle Do, and, and how important is... Um, short-term success, like you, like back to you can't just wallpaper this over your current structure. Your current structure is not um, is not set up to deal with <laughs> maximizing flow efficiency and getting the value at the door at the most expeditious way possible, minimizing handoffs and dependencies. Um, so if you're going to paste one on top of the other, it literally is the example of the square peg in the round hole, where you can spend a yeah. month of Sundays tapping it. And maybe eventually you'll get that square peg in there, but realistically, you should look for the right size, right shape peg. Yeah. So let me just give one example, more example about, about org design. Let's, a bit, maybe that's a bit more specific. So there, there's this organization and they say, well, we have these teams and we cannot get them to take ownership for end-to-end integration. 
it just doesn't help doesn't work no the teams are very are very yeah very we have a hard time for them to to feel ownership for that and then we had a look and more talks and, and investigations and so on and we came to the conclusion that, that they had this role and this was called the chain integrator role. So when you have multiple components, then they, they call it, in, in Holland at least, they call it a chain. And then there's a role who does who integrates across the chain. Yeah. And I said, oh, what does this person do? Well, he is responsible for chain integration. <laughs> yeah, but okay. But yeah, but uh, well, you, you can, you, you feel it, right? So you, you can, the teams can have lots of, uh, can have a good mindset, but you know, <laughs> The responsibility is taken away from them and given to this specific role, which was uh, not one person, was a set of, of teams. And they have the skills, they have the authorities to access the systems and so, to, and so forth and so on. So you can have all the mindset you want. <laughs> this will very, uh, very likely not change if you do not redesign, in this case, this chain integration role or this change, chain test role. So uh, that's one level uh, of, of it. On the other level, I'd say if you go down and talk about the team level uh, uh, regarding your question, then I think mindset is key. Once you're in the team, and this is the team okay. that we want, an agile team, th there's mindset is the dominant influencer. Ah, uh, so it depends on your level of it depends on your level of abstraction. At the higher level, you really want to concentrate more on org design to make it work as in in practices in light of processes and practices in light of mindset whereas when you get truly into the teams mindset is key their mindset is, is dominant yeah 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 that kind of um connects with the way that i i've internalized this is that um each is necessary but not sufficient you can't one without the other doesn't work you know yeah i'm sure you, you've had the experience where re restructure the the organization and give people new badges and new titles but the effect that the the um incentives in the organization haven't changed so accordingly the behavior hasn't changed so um the and the the change in incentives is a reflection of what the organization values which is a reflection of the the you know uh, dave snowden's you know gonna read me out for saying this but of the mindset <laughs> um, or, or the, what the what the it, it really gets down to what is the organization value um yes i, I think so it, it it seems like a paradox but it's really you know i think you put it well is that you need them both you just but they're applied um in different ways is, mm -hmm. is kind of, and, and in different times is yes i think mm. I, I like i like what you're what you're saying uh, a lot um i just want to add one 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 just for the readers to be sure that we communicate this clearly. So when we talk about OD, so organizational design, we don't mean only structure. So structure is just a part of it. It, it also is about career paths, right? What kind mm -hmm. of people do we want? How do we value them? Uh, what are the processes and policies and so on around that? So structuring, so having these teams is just a part of it. If you only have the teams, but leave the processes and the career paths and so on, all. It, at the same level in the in the KPIs, yeah. let's say, then unlikely that it will work. Yeah, yeah. Our design means all of that. Yeah, yeah. And what what I what I've seen be the most impactful is the incentives, how people are are um, uh, evaluated and rewarded and put into 
very plain language, what does their boss ask them about and who is their boss? So when your boss is the chief product owner, the chief product owner is going to be asking you about, hey, how are we doing with our customers? If your boss is the head of quality assurance, you're going to be asked about how many defects did you find? And regardless of what how what relationship that has to a good customer experience. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it 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 all kind of fits in together. Yeah, OD is way more than just than just the pyramid. Than yeah. way just the pyramid. Uh one of the and I know we're we're quickly coming up on time, so sorry, but one of the things I want to ask you about is there was a there was a chunk of the book where um Mike wrote this down and it made me laugh where you, you talk about how team success and what does team success come down to? And there's a, there's a call out that uh, 90% of the team's success, 60% is team design, 30% is team launch, 10% is due to the quality and level of team coaching. And Mike put that in the agenda and he highlighted it and sent it to me and said, man, we're not as important as we think we are, are we? But yeah. Yeah, let's talk about that for a bit because that that I'm, I'm sure rattles some trees for some people, but it's I think it's I think that statement is one of those things where a lot of us intrinsically know but we don't, we don't ever talk about it in common and in, in, in mixed company because it's one of those things that we know just by observation. Can, can we, mm. can we talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this comes from uh, Richard Heckman. So there are some interesting uh, papers and in, in, in a book also uh, from him uh, where he actually has empirical evidence um, um, where uh, uh, it, it, it follows that uh, it, 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 he he highlights it in 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 many ways. Uh, one way also interesting is he, he asks the question: If you have a high performing team and a high performing leader, manager, uh, uh, coach, um, uh, uh, what was their first? <laughs> was their first the high performing team? <laughs> was their first the high performing uh, manager? And it counter contrary to believe. <laughs> Good management comes from a good team, <laughs> and not vice versa. <laughs> you see, <laughs> so and this is, um, uh, as you say, maybe if you work in this in this sector, you it's pretty obvious. Um, um, but that 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 that's where where this came from, and and that's what we um, what we also experience. So so um, if the team has is having success, then you as a coach are. Are, is will have success, but if you are, have success as a coach, meaning you do your job really well, or uh, I don't know, you facilitate your things really well, and you make things really clear, uh, and you facilitate conflict really well, whatever it is uh, that you do, um, then um, yeah, uh, uh, you could feel very, 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 very good about yourself and think you have a lot of impact. Um, but we believe and 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 research and our experience confirms that if you are very good in facilitating conflict, then it's probably uh, also for a strong uh, for a major part uh, has to do with the liftoff that the team had and the and the, um, uh, the, the 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 skills that they already had uh, developed before you did the um, uh, the conflict uh, coaching, for example. So, so liftoffs uh, and 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 uh, and um, creating this this, this um, uh, let's call it this solid base for a team um, uh, is is very important uh, uh, for uh, a coach to be successful uh, later on. 
when you came when you come into the to the to the to the equation. <clears throat> That's a, a a common theme. When I was learning how to fly little airplanes, one of the things I learned through uh, experience is that a poor approach makes for a poor landing. But a, 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 <laughs> a poor approach, approach yeah. That's how I like it. Um, so, um, so there, there, there was one other thing that I was just when I read this, I, I was uh, kind of mind blown um, in that I was like, wow, I never thought of this, but it is so true. I, I'd really love for you to share a bit about it with, with our listeners. And that is the three types of dependencies. And there, there's one particular type that is like really bad. And there's some, some metrics about it. Uh, you know, the, I wonder if you could maybe talk about that just a little bit. Okay, I think you mean the task dependencies, right? Yeah, uh, pulled it, pulled into dependencies, sequential yeah. interdependence, and reciprocal interdependence. Reciprocal, yes, and yeah. So um, uh, this is a this is in the org design aspect, and uh, just like in if you if you develop software, there are all these dependencies, and uh, one approach, of course, is to manage the dependencies. But you know, as, as looking at the at the system as a whole, uh, what about eliminating dependencies in the first place so they don't need to be managed? And um, if you look at uh, tasks, that is work that the teams need to execute, and you look at dependencies between those, then um, especially in software, it turns out that if, uh, just for the readers, if there, is a, if there is functionality that you need to make, a feature, and the feature, cuts across, let's say, eight teams most of the time. So meaning, let's say you have 10 features to do, and eight of these features, if you want to do them, all these teams need to do something for it. So it cuts across all the teams. If you have that, then um, you could say that there is a dependency between these teams, because each of these teams need to do something in order to put that feature into the hands of an end user. Now. This is not a bad thing uh, uh, per se. Um, so you can investigate what type of dependency that is. Now, if it is a reciprocal dependency, that means that if I have two teams, let's say, and team A does something, like they write a piece of code, this influences team B. So they need to react to that because I need to make another API call or whatever they need to do. But it, once they do that, this will influence again team A. <laughs> so we have this loop between teams. That's a reciprocal dependency. And it turns out from academics that these are the most costly to coordinate if they are in separate formal units, as the academics call it. So in our language, it's just if they are in different teams, it's worse. If these teams are in different departments, it gets worse, and so forth and so on. And if you want to, if you want to um, uh, lower the cost of coordination, which has to do with, in software with late integration and working on out of sync and all that stuff that we're not going into, but if you want to reduce the coordination costs, then the best thing to do is to contain them within the, within the same formal unit. So you put them in one team. Well, what if a team is too big? Well, you put them in the same product group. 
under the same management, chasing the same goals, working off the same product backlog and so on. So that's reciprocal dependencies. Now, uh, there are also sequential dependencies, which are dependencies that, you know, if team A does something, then we can talk about it maybe once or twice, we can write something down and then we give it, we hand it off to team B and they can pretty much, let's say most of the time, just do it without any feedback required. Mm -hmm. So that's a sequential dependency. So they, those hurt less. Those are less costly, right? Right. So, so if you have to make a choice, let's say, well, our group is get, becoming too big or our product group is containing too much technology. Well, the, the teams just cannot handle this or the customer domain, domain is so becoming so broad, the whole world is our customer. Um, then you want to contain reciprocal first and, and sequential later, right? But if you have intellectually intellectual capacity, there's enough. Well, just add sequential also, of course. But if you have to make a choice, then reciprocal, reciprocal. first, sequential second, and pool third. Pool is a is a dependency at this level, not at the organizational level, but at the team level. Pool dependency is a a shared resource, uh, maybe a testing system. Uh, if you work at uh, at a company that makes hardware, expensive hardware, maybe the uh, a testing system costs ten million. You probably don't have a hundred of those. Maybe you have five, so you need to reserve them and so on, uh, with an agenda and so on. So these type, it's not reciprocal, but it's a it's a, a dependency you can easily manage which, with traditional project management techniques. Be it a, could also be an expert, a person, so. You, mm -hmm. We can just schedule his time in our agenda. We need him in three months or in three weeks, and we need him for a couple of days. And it's not reciprocal. So with good preparation, it turns out well most of the time. So those are the three dependencies, and these are the, are at the task level. Yeah, that that um, very clear-eyed perspective of dependencies and and identifying which ones have the most um, uh, coordination cost, I, I think, is is yeah, worth worth the price of the book and then some. Um, yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. I, I do want to point out another important dependency, which is not on task level, but it's it's on unit level. Uh, so if you have different units, let's say departments, or it also works on teams, but let's say departments. And so these groups can be coupled or coupled, let's say uh, in better English, I think. Uh, uh, um, not on tasks, but they can be coupled on the thing that they do in the organization. We call it the function that they have, that they need to perform. If this, there's a coupling between these functions, then chances are high that they will have a dependency in which attempts that department A does to achieve its goal will negatively affect the ability of department B to achieve their goals. So once you have that, this is not at a task level, this is at a larger unit level. <laughs> Those need to be resolved too before you, before task dependencies become right. uh, yeah. most impactful. Those are more impactful than the task dependencies. Yeah. 
And I, and I have definitely worked in places where those things were kind of kept as in the back pocket, ace in the hole. Well, it, oh, and the result that we're not going well, we could just torpedo somebody else's, which is yes. not a, not a, not a good political place to be. Well, um, Cesario, we're, we're quickly approaching time. I know it's late for you. I want to thank you for coming on uh, for those listeners. We barely even scratched the surface of this book. I would be remiss though. If I didn't shout out at the end of every chapter, there's a list of references. I'm a, I'm, I am a very harsh judge of, of agile books where if I don't come away with at least three to four new things that I didn't know I should read, um, it wasn't a good book. This, I have a laundry list. Um, the, the, the first chapter alone, I think I came away with four or five different books to read, which is a great sign. So uh, if you're listening, please check out the book. It is definitely, it's, it's worth the time and then some. So Cesario, as we wrap up, if, if, if listeners want to get a copy of the book, they want to learn more about you, they maybe want to get in touch. Um, where do they go? Where do they look? Oh, great. So we are, we have this uh, website called creatingagileorganizations.com. We are putting papers there, blogs. Uh, we have a course uh, agenda there. We offer a designing agile organizations course and a creating agile organizations course. If you want to get into that kind of kind of stuff. Um, and uh, we have um, discount uh, numbers available, coupons, <laughs> I think they are called. Uh, so maybe um, uh, if they can contact you or, or contact me, I don't know if I'm saying, if you want, if you want them to contact you, we, I have some to give away, so they can find the book uh, at, a, at a discount. Um, yeah, that's maybe, maybe uh, basically join our Discord and get get uh, get a discount code. Yeah, yeah. For example, I can send it to you or to Mike, and then you can perfect just, just give it away as a gift or something. Perfect. And Cesario, for people who want to contact you, where do they go? Oh, though they can go to creatingagileorganizations.com or they can just uh, um, uh, contact me on LinkedIn, on uh, Cesario Ramos. Uh, or uh, use my email if they want, which is cesario at agilix, which is A-G-I-L-I-X dot N-L. Perfect, perfect. So uh, once again, Cesario, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Uh, on behalf of Mike Cesario and myself, I want to thank all of you listeners for tuning in once again. Like Mike said, hop in on the Discord. We have a lot of conversation going on there about this book and many other things. You might, you might make some connections and learn something. Um, shout out to Machine Man Records and Krebs for giving us our outro music royalty free. We have a Patreon to offset production and hosting costs. We're committed to being free, but if you want to throw us some bucks, maybe you'll get a pair of socks and some stickers in the mail. So once again, I want to thank Cesario for joining us. And until next time, this is the Agile Uprising Podcast signing out. Thanks a lot. It was great. I really enjoyed our conversation.